Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I'm going to do a short talk today with three simple points. We're talking about Joshua's generation. And the idea behind the talk is that the Israelites came out of Egypt. They were a bunch of slaves. They'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. All they knew was obeying a master who whipped them on the back. And God had to transform them into an army and a nation that would prosper. But unfortunately, when they got to the border of the promised land, after about two years traveling, they failed. And we talked about this last week, how they sent spies into the land. Instead of just trusting God's promises, they sent spies who looked at the land and they trusted their eyes instead of their hearts. I wonder if we've ever done that. I do that on a daily basis. Do you? How, how much do you get your cues and your information from your physical senses or from the Spirit of God within you? There's a challenge there, isn't there? How many times a day do we say, I'm trusting these things or this logic instead of what God says about me? God says I'm a mighty warrior. God says I can do it. God says he's meeting my needs. And yet I look at the bank balance. I look at the news report. I look at my friends and family and I get their messages instead of God's message. And that's what happened. The Israelites went in there. The 10 spies came back, 10 of the 12 spies came back and they said what any logical person would say. They said the land is good, prosperous, flowing with milk and honey. God's promises are really true, however, or actually nevertheless were the words they used. Nevertheless, there are giants there. There's opposition. You see, we think if God is opening a door for me, there will be no opposition. I will feel confident. I will have easy access, doors will fly open, no one will be against me, circumstances will line up, then it's God's will. And that's the opposite of what the Bible says. Whenever God opens a door, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> the two always go together. In fact, when there's no adversaries, it's probably not God's will which might be a shock to you today. But the Israelites came there and only Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit, the Bible says. And they stood up. Even though two million people were wailing and crying and saying, oh, it's been a disaster. Why did we do this thing? Why did we start this church? Why did we try to do this thing for God? Everyone was wailing and weeping. But Caleb says, stop it. We can do it. God is with us. We are well able I really, I just have, uh, when I meet Caleb in heaven, I'm going to go and give him the biggest bear hug in the world and say, well, he knows it by now. He's been in heaven for a few thousand years. But, you know, all those people against him, he must have thought, am I crazy? Am I crazy? Everybody else thinks we can't do this. Am I crazy to trust in God? But he, he said, we can do it. And the Bible says that 40 years later, when they went into the promised land, he was 85 years old by this stage. And he goes up to Joshua, because Joshua was the leader who took them into the promised land 40 years later. Caleb goes to Joshua and he says, do you remember the mountain which had the most giants on it? I want it. I'm 85 years old, but my energy has not diminished. And he wasn't talking about his physical energy. He was talking about the spiritual faith within him. 
And you know what the great news is? We can be the same. So my first point is that God wants us to go into a promised land and not to wander around in the wilderness. Last week we said that many generations of Christians, in fact, it's the same as it was for the Israelites. Most Christians do not really have the whatever it takes, guts or faith to get into the promised land. Most Christians wander around in the wilderness. Most. You say, how do I know if I'm wandering in the wilderness? Number one, you are being guided. Remember, they were guided by a pillar of cloud and fire. You are being guided, but you have no idea where you're going to be next week. It's a minute-by-minute minute guidance. You wake up the next day, oh, the cloud's moving, I better go with it, I better go with it. That's wilderness Christianity. You are being guided, but you have no idea of the bigger plan. What is God's big plan? What is the strategy? Where are you going to be in 10 years' time? What is God trying to achieve? You don't know. You just follow blindly whatever's right in front of your nose day by day. That's the first sign. Second sign, you are being provided for. They had manna every day. The bread from heaven came. They had water coming out of rocks. They had what they needed. Their clothes and their shoes never wore out. You are being provided for, but it's just on a subsistence level. You never know where the next meal's coming from. You don't have a bigger plan. When they went into the promised land, the day they got into the promised land, the manna stopped and they started sowing and reaping. There's a difference. You know, if you're a wilderness Christian, God will meet your needs. But when you're in the promised land, you sow and reap. It's part of a partnership where God gives you the wisdom and the faith to sow and to see result increase. And then you sow more of that and you're partnering with God in a bigger plan. And then the third sign of being in the wilderness is you are fighting battles. You remember there were giants in the promise and there were also battles in the wilderness. But the battles in the wilderness were not to gain territory. They were just to get through to the next place in the, in the wilderness. See, they fought the Amalekites. They fought various wars, but they never gained any territory. They just fought, 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 fought. Oh, I'm in trouble. Oh, we won that battle. What's the result? Oh, we just move on to the next stage. There's no benefit from fighting the battle. You may be fighting battles in your Christian life, but you never gain any territory. They don't benefit you in any way. Those are the three signs of being in the wilderness. But in the promised land, we fight battles and we gain territory. We, we are better off after the battle because we've grown and there's something more in our Christian life that we never had before. And the New Testament mentions this. I read last week, 1 Corinthians 10. It says, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our forefathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then it says in verse 11, All these things happened to them as examples and were written down for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, all of that happens so that we can learn the lessons from their mistakes. Another verse, which is going to come up on the screen, is Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 3. Listen to this. It says, Therefore, 
since a promise remains of entering his rest. In other words, that promise of getting into the promised land still remains. Let us fear or be careful, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel, or the promises, was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, as, so I swore on my oath they shall never enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So my first point is that we don't want to be wilderness Christians. Let me put it another way. I have determined, me, Greg Donaldson, in my heart to be part of Joshua's generation. I have determined that long ago. I've determined that it doesn't matter who follows, who goes with me, it doesn't matter what the symptoms and the signs against me, it doesn't matter what the, the evidence says, I'm trusting God's word and his promises, and I'm part of Joshua, which is Jeshua, the same as Jesus, the name Jesus. I'm part of his generation. I'm going into the promised land. I'm doing that. I, I've decided that. However, the purpose of this series of talks is to say, wouldn't it be nice if several of us did it together? Joshua and Caleb were the only two. And all those little kids, 20 years and younger, who weren't faithless, they got in 40 years later into the promised land. What we're saying is, come on, let's, rather than just one or two Christians being the brave ones who say, we can do it. The rest of you are going to be faithless weirdos who wander in the wilderness. No, no, let's, let's be a group who do this. Let's try and get all of us into this promised land. So that's the first point, is we don't want anyone to be wilderness Christians. The reality is some will. Some will say, I don't want to trust God. I don't want to fight any giants. I want to just wander around and be an aimless Christian for the rest of my life. But we're saying, come on, guys. Let's do this together. Is that okay? Please, come with us. Be part of this Joshua's generation. My second point First point, we don't want any of us to be wilderness Christians. Second point, it helps to know the borders of your promised land. That's my second point. It helps to know the borders of your promised land. Has anyone here ever moved to a new country? I've done it a couple of times, several of us have. And with the internet nowadays, you can do a lot of research about the country you're moving to you can see where the borders are of that country. You can work out what the economy is like, how strong the currency is, what government structure they have, what the weather's like, the average mean temperature, how much rainfall, what the society is like, how they treat different people in the society, what sports activities there are, educational opportunities, tax system, rules, laws, government structures. You can find out so much about the country, and in fact, you would be crazy if you didn't know anything about the country you were moving to. Isn't that true? So God said, every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. And then he listed the boundaries of the country. It wasn't a vague thing. God said to them, there is a specific piece of land that is your promised land. 
Let me read it to you. It's quite a long passage. Numbers 34 verses 3 onwards. Your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along the border of Edom. Then your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Sea. Your border shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim to continue to Zin and be on the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go on to Hazar-Adar and continue to Asmon. The border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt and it shall end at the sea. As for the western border, you shall have the great sea for a border. This shall be your western border. And this shall be your northern border. From the great sea, you shall mark out your borderline to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hamath. Then the direction of the border shall be towards Zedad. The border shall proceed to Ziphron. It shall end at Hazar-Enan. This shall be your northern border. You shall mark out your eastern border from Hazar Enon to Shepham. The border shall go down along the Jordan, shall end at the Salt Sea. This shall be your land with its surrounding boundaries. When you know the, the boundaries, when you know the land that you've been given, then you know what to fight for. Amen? If I don't know what my promised land is, if I don't know what Joshua, Jeshua, Jesus is leading me into, how do, how do I know where to go? How do I know what to fight for? How do I know what to take a stand for and say, I am believing this no matter who goes with me, no matter what comes against me? How will I know? And I want to say that there are boundaries, there are descriptions of your promised land and my promised land, and they are extremely clear, they are extremely specific, and they are extremely Beautiful. God promised the Israelites, he said, it's a land not just with these boundaries, but it's flowing with milk and honey. God said, you will go in and you will reap crops that you didn't plant. You will live in houses that you didn't build. I will drive out the enemies with the hornet and the wasp ahead of you. God planned it all. And they knew what the promised land was that they were supposed to be going into. They lost their faith and they didn't take it, most of them. But still they knew where they were going. And interestingly, when they eventually did get in there, they spoke to a lady called Rahab, the prostitute, and she said, from the beginning when you left Egypt and God dried up the Red Sea, we have been quaking in our boots waiting for you to arrive. For 40 years, even though they were faithless and they were wandering in the, in the wilderness, the inhabitants knew their time was up and they knew that the Israelites were going to come and drive them out. The, the enemies had more faith in God than the Israelites did. Isn't that amazing? So what are the borders of your promised land? I want to say that they are the promises of God. And I'm going to try and go quickly now. The promises of God. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 to 4 says this. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice that. His divine power has already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Great. God has already given me all these amazing things. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. I've got to know some stuff in order to know what I'm claiming. It's not just going to land in my lap. I've got to know it. And many people, you know, Hosea in the Old Testament says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. When you know, you get. That's why we preach. If you don't know, you won't, you won't receive. Through our knowledge of Him, but now listen to this. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious 
promises. It's like each promise is a description of the land that God is giving you. Every promise God gives you is another boundary or another law or rule or, or description of the promised land. Exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, if I just read that last sentence, if I said to you, God has given us something that will enable us to partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world through lust, most of us would think that was talking about rules and laws. If I said to you, God has given us something that helps us escape the corruption of the world through lust and partake of the divine nature, most of us would say, oh, that's rules, that's laws of how I must and mustn't live. No, it's promises. It's a positive. It's God saying, look what I've got for you, not you must not do this. When we live a Christian life, that gets a vision and an excitement about the good that God wants for us, it is so much more powerful than do's and don'ts that you wouldn't believe the difference. If you're living your Christian life saying, I mustn't, I mustn't, I must, I must, that's laws and rules, whereas God says, get a vision of my promises, and those laws and rules will just start to happen automatically. It really is true. Next verse, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him are men to the glory of God through us. The NIV says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. No matter how many promises. All the promises of God in Jesus are yes. I want you to imagine it like this. God said in the Old Testament, promise after promise to the Israelites, to Abraham, to Noah, to all these people, I promise you this, I promise you this, I promise you this. And the people listened and they listened. And when Jesus arrived, all of those promises were concentrated in one person. And Jesus contains all the promises of God. And if I get Jesus, I get all the promises. If I'm in Jesus, I'm in all the promises. Jesus encapsulates and illustrates all the good promises of God. And therefore, if I'm in Christ, whatever promises I can find in the Old Testament, I say, God, is that promise of, for me? And he leads me to this verse. He says, no matter how many promises I've made in Christ, it's yes. God, that promise to Abraham, saying that you would bless him and give him many descendants, and bless all nations through him and he would be a blessing to many is that a promise that i can take he says well are you in christ yeah then it's yes and amen do you see that now i must be honest with you people have taken me to task theologically over this people have said to me greg can you really say that every promise is for us can you really say that and so as a result, I've done a bit of studying. And I'm just going to go quickly. Hebrews 11, the chapter of Hebrews 11 talks about all the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. Noah, Gideon, Samson, Barak, David, Moses, Joseph. I mean, it goes through all of them. And it says at the end of that chapter, I don't have time to go into the whole chapter now, 
But it says at the end of that chapter, verse 39, all of these, all of the heroes of the Old Testament, all of them, all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Every promise that they got, they, they just got a taste, they got a bit of it. But it, we, because we have Jesus, we get it all, all their promises. You say, I'm still not convinced, Greg. All right, let me show you another verse. Romans 4, verse 13, talking about Abraham. It says, for the promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That says that Abraham was given this promise that he would be the heir of the whole world, but it wasn't to him and his seed through the law, it was through faith. But him and his seed would, would receive it. And then Galatians 3 goes to great lengths. Throughout the chapter of Galatians 3, it talks about how we receive the promises of Abraham. And right at the end, verse 29, it says, And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And verse 14 says, The blessing of Abraham might come upon us, the Gentiles in Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So all the promises of Abraham's are ours. All the promises of all the Old Testament heroes of faith are ours. Um, Acts 13, verse 32, Paul is preaching. He's, he says, And we declare to you the glad tidings that the promise which was made to the fathers is for us. Romans 15, verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ has been a become a servant to the circumcision to confirm the promises made to the fathers. There are many verses. And Hebrews 4, the, the verse that I read at the very beginning, I'll come back to that at the end, proves that those promises are for us. No matter how many promises God has made, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. So my first point, we don't want to be wilderness Christians. My second point, we need to know the borders of our promised land. And I want to say to you, if you stand up and you say, I'm a Christian who trusts the promises of God, you will have a lot of Christians say to you, who the heck do you think you are? You're claiming promises from the Old Testament. Isaiah 52. All your children will be taught of the Lord and great will be your children's peace. Who are you to claim that promise? I'm in Christ. That's why I'm claiming that promise. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Whenever I find a promise in the Bible, and there are over 7,000 of them, I say I understand a new piece of information about my promised land. Now you can sit back and you can be a doubter. You can be one of these skeptics that says, ah, fine, we'll see if that really happens. That's fine. But I want to say to you that me and several of us in this room are moving in. <laughs> you can watch and watch us eat that beautiful fruit. I've seen it again and again. People say to me, Greg, you're dreaming. If that's the case, don't wake me up. I'm enjoying the dream. <laughs> it's going well so far. I've seen God come through with promise after promise that in the natural you would not believe. And then lastly, my last point is we receive it through faith and patience. 
Hebrews 6 verse 12. He writes, he says, I don't want you to become sluggish. <laughs> what does sluggish sound like to you? It's, it talks about just, you know, the kind of Christian who sits back and says, if God has promised it, if God wants it for me, it'll happen. He says, I don't want you to become sluggish, but I want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Amen. There's two parts. There's faith and there's patience. Faith is Joshua and Caleb saying, I don't care what my beating heart says. I'm scared of this giant in front of me. I don't care what my heart says. I don't care what my emotions say. I don't care what my logic says. I don't care what my family and friends say. I don't care if the whole world is against me. I trust God's promises. He is not a man that he would lie. He, if he says, he will do. <laughs> I trust God. That's the faith part. And the patience part says, I'm sticking at this. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter what adversity comes against me or what circumstances say, I know God's promises are true. No matter how long. And let's just close with that verse from Hebrews 4 again. Verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear or be careful, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Friends, there's a promised land. It's beautiful. It's described by 7,000 promises. Please don't fall short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. It was of no benefit to them, even though God said, I promise this to you. I promise you a good spouse. I promise you provision. I promise you blessing, protection. I promise this. This is my will for you. It was of no profit, no benefit to them. Why? Because they did not mix it with faith. And that's something we do. I take God's promise and I mix it with faith in my heart and I say I'm standing on it. And then listen to this last verse, verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my, my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Friend, when God promises something, and this is a, my last point, but it's an important one. He's not saying, I will do something. He's saying, I have done something. You see, God lives outside of time. There's no time for God. When He promises something, He's not thinking future. He's saying, it is done. It is provided. It is finished. The price has been paid. I've done everything necessary. Do you remember the verse we read about God's great and precious promises? It said, His divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He, when He promises you that He will provide, that He will look after you, that He will protect you, He's saying it's done from the foundation of the world. All I need from you, brother or sister, Christian, is to trust me and my promises, to have faith and patience more than the voices and the circumstances and the logic and the physical senses that you have around you. Let's stand together.
Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Father, here we are, standing on the edge. Standing on the edge of the promised land. Lord God, I want to be, I want to be one of Joshua's generation. Lord, I want, to, I want to trust your promises more than anything else. Friend, I'm going to ask you to make that commitment just between you and God, right here and right now, to say, I am going to find God's promises in His Word, and then I'm going to trust them. I'm going to have faith and patience, no matter what comes against me. I want, I want to link myself with Joshua's generation, with Jesus and with other Christians, and we're going to go into this together. And as you make that commitment today, as you say, yes, it's a firm decision in my heart, what happens is God releases power and, and blessing, and He gives you the strength, the wind beneath your wings to be able to do it. Just a commitment. You just have to say, Lord, yes. Lord, yes. I am willing. I'm going to trust your promises. I'm going to go in and claim what you've given me. In Jesus' name. So, Father God, here we are. We put ourselves in your hands. We say, yes, Lord, we trust you. You are faithful. If you've said it, it is true. Your word is true. No matter what or who says otherwise. And we trust you and stand in that place today of faith and say, we will go in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.